Welcome to the official Brandon Ritchie Substack Podcast episode. Today's date is February the 16th, 2023. And if you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. I'm grateful to have you have you tuning in and listening to the show for the first time. If you're a regular listener, I'm also grateful for your presence here for the moment. And I think that today you're going to find today's episode compelling and very informative. I think it's something that's going to pique your interest and certainly uh, get you to talking, hopefully, with your friends and family. If you are tuning in for the first time, uh, just to let you know, the purpose of this podcast and blog is to serve as a map for helping you and those around you to be a zenith during chaotic times. And what do I mean when I say zenith? Zenith basically means that I want you at your peak, I want you at your best, okay? And I believe the best way uh, to approach doing this and achieving this is by diving into different aspects of life and exploring and examining aspects of life through different uh, topics that range from um, range from our environment, basically, from history to philosophy to geopolitics to finance, to culture, business, and of course, health and fitness, which is central to my background and my personal and professional background, which I've had over 20 years experience uh, with in that arena. So with that being said, if you are tuning in for the first time, please make sure that you subscribe at brandonritchie.substack.com so that you can get all future episodes articles and podcast if you are a regular listener and you have not done that please do that as well and understand that uh, to make this show work your action your agency and you going out and and sharing this information sharing the link sharing the podcast sharing the articles is how and, and being a full force multiplier in that regard is how this show will continue to exist and be strong, and therefore we can help others to be zenos in Kate during a chaotic times. So, with that being said, also you can catch the podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcast. Uh, if you are listening on Spotify, take about two seconds, hit the follow button, and give it a five star rating if you want to demonstrate your support for the show in that regard. So today's uh, post is going to be an audio article readout, okay? And the title of today's episode is Chaos and Order. Preface. Quote, The individual has always had to struggle to keep from being overwhelmed by the tribe. If you try it, you will be lonely often and sometimes frightened. But no price is too high to pay for the privilege of owning yourself. End quote. Frederick Nietzsche. In today's episode, I'm going to address an aspect of both yours and my life habits that I believe you will find compelling as it's something that should be obvious to you, but it's something I've discovered that we all fail to notice on a regular basis as we take some of the most obvious things for granted. It seems the common theme throughout our society and the world is this ongoing battle between chaos and order. The world, by its nature, is a chaotic place, and when order that has been established for a period of time starts to crumble and break down, 
then it results in a great deal of chaos and instability. This chaos that ensues once the stabilizing factor of an, quote, order, end quote, starts to crumble will often result in a number of fights ranging from the political environment all the way to a violent battlefield of a hot kinetic war. This ongoing struggle is something that manifests on both the chaotic side as well as the side that society considers the side of, quote, order, end quote, on a constant basis. The chaos that ensues within society manifests in a number of different ways within that society's institutions. It is here within these institutions where we find the battles that determine the direction of a society, given that a society's traditional faith has been held within these institutions. I intend for the focus of today's episode to be on why and how this chaos comes about when the order of things starts to break apart, while also examining the strength or fragility of this, quote, order, end quote, of things within what we define as our society. Heading, the trust. First of all, I want to point towards a thing that we all engage in whether daily, whether we think about it or not. If you consider yourself to be the type of person who doesn't easily trust others, then understand that I want you to pause for a moment and evaluate that belief. Understand that if you are one to espouse that you don't trust easily, then I would contend that you most likely demonstrate that trust every single day you wake up. With each day that you awaken to go out and tackle life, you demonstrate trust across several different avenues that you encounter daily in your life. Unless you live off the grid somewhere in a hut you built for yourself with zero electricity or with zero contact with the outside world, then I will prove it. So what is trust? Trust is defined as the belief and knowing that we can have reliability in something. That something might be another person. It might be in in the hope that when you turn over the key in your ignition that your car will start. And it is the fact that when you walk into your bathroom to brush your teeth every morning that you'll have the luxury of clean filtered water running running from your faucet. These are just a few important examples of how you demonstrate trust in your life on a daily basis. This trust also occurs in other key areas of your life, such as the trust you have in your money. That's right. You trust that the money you have in your account is a good store of value in order for you to use in exchange for goods and services that you need in your life in order to live. After all, what is money? Money is simply a trust that society agrees upon with a social contract that is that it has a certain value. But what happens when that value starts to fall? When the value of money continues to diminish, then that is a signal that you, or society, is in a way losing trust in that social contract associated with the store value of those dollars. As a result of that lost trust in the store of value, the strength of your money will weaken which results in you having to use more of your dollars in order to buy those goods and services that you need to support yourself and your family. This, of course, is what is known as inflation. Take a moment to think about that, and you will realize very quickly that society is only as strong and stable as it is based on the amount of trust all of us as citizens place on the, quote, order, end quote, of all these things to function at a level that we consider to be satisfactory. 
This is where I believe we as individuals often lose sight of how the real world and life actually works. This is not something that is very complicated because it seems so obvious. After all, we all use a bank for holding our money. We use grocery stores to shop for our food. We use phones to communicate with people. And I could go on and on. At the end of the day, we are putting trust into all of these institutions. The point is that we live in an interdependent society where the institutions that manage all of these things that we place our daily trust in are owned, operated, and controlled by people that in most cases you and I have never met. Furthermore, we don't know whether or not we can trust these people either. Now, when you look at all of this in this way, this is either either a huge miracle or, in a way, it could be the worst nightmare any of us could have ever imagined. After all, the trust that all of us demonstrate in the function of society all exists because we have all demanded to have these things be provided to us because they create what we perceive to be convenience for our daily lives. Heading, Convenience versus Inconvenience. So that last word, convenient, leads me into the next point of this discussion. However, before I go there, if we look at the story of Medusa in Greek mythology, you can see a very important life lesson that falls in line with everything I'm discussing here with today's topic associated with society's desire for convenience. Everything I've already pointed out in the beginning of this episode points to the connectivity of our society and how we all lend our support in terms of what we spend with our dollars, as well as what we demand from the marketplace in the name of convenience. So essentially, as a society, we've gotten a taste and perceive, quote, convenience, end quote, as being this apparently attractive thing for us because we are snared by its seductive quality, just as many men were seduced by Medusa in the stories of Greek mythology. However, the men that could not resist the temptation of looking Medusa in the eyes all met their demise and were turned to stone, whether they found themselves satisfying their curiosity about a Gorgon monster or gazing into the eyes of the same goddess that captured Poseidon's eye, the outcome was the same. Every single one of the men that could not avert her gaze were paralyzed for eternity within their new formation as a fossil or a freshly made statue. The only man that was able to turn the tables on Medusa was the Greek hero Perseus. To prevent himself from falling victim to Medusa's gaze, he used a polished shield that was given to him by Athena in order to safely approach and cut the head off Medusa by looking at her reflection in the shield. This way he could safely watch her without falling victim to her gaze. He would then later go on to safely rescue his love interest Andromeda from Phineas after the two got into a fight. Phineas was turned to stone by Medusa's head which Perseus had kept in a safely stored bag. So the lesson here is that despite having wreaked havoc on many men that approached Medusa, Perseus wasn't only able to defeat her, but in the process of slaying Medusa, he kept her severed head and used its powerful gaze against his own enemies. I wanted to inject that little vignette of Greek mythology as I'm about to make a strong argument as to why convenience is the single worst thing that you can put your money behind and demand for yourself and your family in terms of what the market forces that currently exist within our modern-day society. As we're discovering, 
As we're discovering, the convenience that we seek with our actions that are done through the banks also parallels Medusa's deadly gaze, not by turning us to stone, but by equally paralyzing us as we become solely dependent on their product. Essentially, our society's desire for convenience is turning out to be the same dangerous desire that every man had looking into the eyes of Medusa prior to Perseus. To clarify some things before I start, I will confess that I'm very much a free market entrepreneur. I believe in the free market and every individual having the freedom to pursue success solely within a true competing free market paradigm where the playing field is level. Now that last part that I meant that I just mentioned about the playing field being level is the part I want to focus on. This is the case because it's this part of our society where the lines of private enterprise and free market competition have been blurred and corrupted with the involvement of subsidies and public-private partnerships. The name for this isn't capitalism, it's cronyism. You see, when the state, subsidy, when the state subsidizes a business, that provides a product or service for that matter to the general public, then that business, in my view, is no longer a business. At that point, that entity that is normally referred to as a business automatically becomes another arm of the government. Why do I say this? I say this because if a business is automatically issued subsidies by the state and is paid for with yours and my tax dollars, then that business doesn't have to worry about providing a quality product to compete against someone else that might offer a better option for the market. A simpler way of putting it is that there's no competition or very low competition because the market isn't a free market, but rather a captive market in this particular case where there are only a select few players that can play the game. Why? Because in this scenario, the bottom line of a subsidized business, a.k.a. arm of the government, is guaranteed through issued subsidized dollars by the state. Imagine for a moment if you had a company and the state said it would make it mandatory for the public to buy and use your product for the force of law or by the force of law. Knowing this, then why would you spend one more red cent on advertising? Within this environment, what motivation would you have to innovate or to provide a better service or to simply provide a better product for the public? Even if you said, Brandon, if I were in that position, I would provide a better product anyways. I would say that perhaps you would, but first ask yourself if you are actually in that position, and if you aren't, which is most likely the case, ask yourself how you can trust those who are in that position to put forth a better product. You see, a captive market provides a comfortable place for that subsidized business, a.k.a. arm of the government, and can at times be a huge convenience for the consumer and taxpayer, you, as long as it's working. However, what happens when that subsidized arm of the government starts failing and you have nowhere else to go in terms of acquiring the product or service that you need in order to live your life? So on that note, allow me to return to the trust I mentioned that all of us have in the strength of our money. You see, right now there's about 24 big banks that manage most of the country's wealth here in the U.S., when the big financial bubble burst back in 2008, some big banks got some really big financial bailouts from the federal government so that they could continue to stay open for business. Given that our dollars haven't been backed by the gold standard since August 15, 1971, and the conditions of the petrodollar are now changing, along with the rest of the world having come off the gold-backing standard, 
That means that all of our money is backed by, well, hope. That's right. That piece of paper or digital balance you see on your ledger when you get your statement from the bank that tells you how much money and financial value that you have is simply a social contract that is built on trust. That's it. I point this out because the precedent for the Federal Reserve to print endless amounts of dollars to allocate through these banks that you and I use every day of our lives has been thrown into high gear since 2008 and went on turbocharge since 2020 with nobody in sight attempting to even slow it down. As a result of this out-of-control spending with no end in sight, we're seeing this trust diminish more and more by the day. Yet we all use the banks, and we all as consumers continue to utilize their services, allowing them to continue to keep the printing of money flowing from the federal government while at the same time growing their centralized authority and power over the rest of us. After all, we all continue to use our credit and debit cards when we check out at the grocery store or the mall because it's not convenient for most of us to carry cash. At least that's the excuse that I hear from people when I ask them why they don't carry cash. Because we don't trouble ourselves with the inconvenience of carrying cash, we are growing the wealth of the banks by swiping a debit and or credit card out of convenience. In fact, the demand for convenience has evolved beyond even carrying cash or swiping a card. It's to the point now that we don't even have to swipe our cards as now this popular use of the piece of plastic contains a special technology that allows us to simply tap them at checkout. You might be asking, Brandon, how is it that we're making the banks richer by using a, a credit debit card for payment? Well, the answer is very simple. You see, every, every single time you tap or swipe your credit card, the bank is making interchange fees from the merchants at the point of sale. These interchange fees are fees that go back to the banks to help them to mitigate any losses they may potentially incur should the risk of lending you money on credit result in your failure to pay back that debt that you accumulate at the risk of the bank. So you and I are both making them richer, more powerful, and more dangerous by using the plastic. You're probably thinking, Brennan, I get how we're making them richer, but how are we making them more powerful and more dangerous? Well, once again, and once again, since 2008, the Federal Reserve banks have been able to print money along with the Federal Reserve at an apparently never-ending pace. Furthermore, in doing so, the banks drive more inflation. But since big business oligarchies such as these big banks and other major-sized companies are in control of such massive wealth, it's easier for these entities to control and acquire assets. This is the case because... They already have a tremendous amount of dollars, particularly when they're able to receive government deposits from money that is printed at will. So when those dollars are inflated, these entities can still acquire assets, where an inflated dollar makes it even more difficult for the rest of us to acquire assets because our dollars continue to get weaker and weaker. This is what Klaus Schwab of the WEF means when he says that, quote, you will own nothing and be happy. End quote. Heading, the Weimar Republic. Quote, I was reading in the paper today that Congress wants to replace the dollar bill with a coin. They've already done it. It's called a nickel. End quote. Jay Leno. <laughs> However, 
The other danger at the core of this situation is the prospect of hyperinflation. You see, back in 1921 and 1923, particularly in 1923, hyperinflation struck the German paper mark, which was the currency of the Weimar Republic. You see, after World War I, the Treaty of Versailles was a powerful buffer to ensure that actors left behind in the defunct German Empire couldn't wage war on anyone else again. However, the terms of this treaty were a significant financial strain and made it unlikely that the German economy would ever recover from its powerful grip. Because of this financial strain, the country couldn't purchase imported goods, and because of the loss of their colonies, they couldn't readily account on cheap raw materials. In addition to all of this, billions of marks that had been hoarded away as a result of the war suddenly came pouring back into circulation after the war was over. Now the Weimar Republic found themselves with a significant increase in the money supply. Does this sound familiar? Now, after having such a shortage of goods and a significant increase in the money supply, conditions were optimal for inflation. However, despite there being a good opportunity for the government to get a grip on the economy in 1920 due to the mark stabilizing with the exchange rate for some months compared to the U.S. dollar, the government still chose to print even more money in order to try and pay down that reparation debt associated with the treaty. That printing of money sounds familiar, familiar as well, right? As a result of this, by July of 1922, prices had jumped by 700% as hyperinflation was ushered in. Source, article, Hyperinflation in the Weimar Republic, Britannica. By November of 1923, a wheelbarrow of money couldn't buy you a newspaper in the Weimar Republic. As a result, shopkeepers couldn't replenish their stock to keep up with their prices, farmers refused to sell their product for worthless money, and food riots started to break out across the countryside. As a result, the, quote, order, end quote, of things started to give way to the chaos. This led to extreme political views and wild conspiracy theories which eventually resulted in the rise of Adolf Hitler. Basically, the Weimar Republic is a great lesson to learn about the incredibly dangerous and destructive nature of inflation that results from a centralized government that can control the currency of its citizenry. Heading, The Eternal Recurrence The German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche had an interesting theory that was known as the eternal recurrence. Source, Friedrich Nietzsche, Wikipedia. In context, the, the theory can be taken literally as how things are within the universe, as the universe consists of a thing where there is perpetual struggle, as he describes it, with force that continues on in a cycle until it completes its cycle and returns to its beginning. Now, without digging too deep into this theory on the surface, we can easily see this similar pattern throughout the world's history in our physical world. Time and time again, civilizations have started, risen to power, and then collapsed as a result of the abuse of that power. This cycle does, in fact, seem to be a recurring theme in the real world. I wanted to point to Nietzsche's theory here to illustrate this point that we can observe in reality within the pages of our own history books. You may argue that Nietzsche's theory was really only referring to the cycle of the universe and how the eternal recurrence would involve the repetition of all of us going through what we've already gone through in another cycle 
of the same run of life. However, I would contend that this pattern is without question a prevalent cycle throughout history and continues to run its course even though the players may be different as the years go by. As I mentioned earlier, the allure of convenience, particularly with our reliance on the banking system and the Federal Reserve, ultimately results in a harrowing and deadly encounter not, not all that different from the men that encountered Medusa. Heading. The wrap-up. Given what was discussed here, I believe that as a society we can turn the tables on the centralized growth and authority of the Federal Reserve, the banks, and our currency. To me, this comparison of convenience versus inconvenience is the same formation of a problem that we can describe as centralization versus decentralization. Where convenience feeds more centralized control and authority, the small burden of what we may perceive as being a bit of inconvenience feeds more decentralization, which, re which results in more freedom for individuals. Perhaps we can play out our own version of taking the head of Medusa. However, instead of utilizing a polished shield and a sharp sword the way Perseus did with Medusa, perhaps we can simply start paying for goods and services in cash. Perhaps more business owners can figure out creative ways to move away from the majority volume of accepting car payments by accepting more cash payments if that is possible, if that is a possible fit for their business model. The idea is that we must continue to seek the perfect combination to work for us the way Perseus figured out using a perfect combination of his shield, sword, and the bag he used to store Medusa's head so that he could use it against his own enemies. After all, the last thing we want is a banking Medusa to paralyze us with a centralized digital currency by enabling them the capability of monitoring and controlling every single dollar we make and spend throughout our lives. I hope you enjoyed today's article podcast. If so, I really need your help to push this piece out to your friends, family, and co-workers. In order for both you and me to influence and strengthen our society, we must not stay idle. So please make sure you hit the subscribe and share buttons here below. Spreading messages like this one is how we influence our culture, and I need your help in order to do it. Also, listen to this episode here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Pocket Cast. If you like this podcast and message, please take a moment to give it a five-star rating on the Spotify platform. Also, to connect with me, please make sure you join me here on Twitter, Facebook, and Getter. Stay strong, stay focused. Stay active and have a great day.